Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Good Grow Great Podcast. I'm Talia Toha, and if you're new here, share with us where you're tuning in from, because we have listeners from all across the world, 60 different countries and counting, which is amazing, and so I always love to meet people from the show, and so share with us in the review section or in the rating section in the Apple Podcast where you're tuning in from. And so I am actually really excited to share this episode with you because today I have Augie Max Vargas, who is an Emmy-winning producer, speaker, creator, all of the things, son of Filipino immigrants, and he had worked from the bottom up in the entertainment industry and now producing different things, live events. He has credits in Emmys. He's won an Oscar. He has produced a Super Bowl halftime, Victoria's Secret fashion show. The list goes on. On you guys, and recently Jeff Bezos's uh, Blue Origin rocket launch, which obviously is a huge accomplishment in and of itself. So today, I want to share with you a few takeaways that you're going to get after you listen to this episode. One of which being how he actually broke through the entertainment industry, which of course we all know Hollywood, all of that jazz, super difficult. But also being a Filipino and son of immigrant and, and an AAPI member, I think this is something that's really interesting. I know a lot of you guys listening are from outside the U.S., and so this is a totally encouraging episode for you to hear if you feel like you just can't get there, right? And so Augie shares how he did it, and he also shared how he got the opportunity to work um, on the Oscar show that he's going to be talking at more specifically in the episode. He's also going to be talking about tons more things, you guys, including what it really takes to create a successful uh, event or live show. So if any of you guys are thinking to go into the entertainment industry, or if you're just creating content, and you're kind of like, oh my goodness, this really could be better, right? My videos, it's not landing or my webinar is not landing, whatever it is that you're thinking, this is something that's going to be super useful for you guys because he really walks us through step by step what it really takes for you guys to be successful if you are creating content, live shows, events, all of the things. So, so much in store for you guys. Do not forget to hit that subscribe, follow, add, collect button. Grow Solvers, let's do this. Augie, welcome to the show. Hi, Talia. How are you? I'm amazing. Well, I'm so excited to have you here because I cannot wait to chat with you more about your work as a producer of live events, a variety of things. But before we get into that, I actually want to ask you, because I think this is something that people can learn from and the audience can truly, truly learn from, especially if they're a minority or they feel like they are invisible in their space, right? Whether it's entertainment or something else, because you are... Um, you know, you're a member of the AAPI community, obviously, and you managed to break 
through one of the most difficult spaces in the world, probably arguably, right? So I wanted to actually take us back a little bit and ask you, what was it like, but maybe more specifically, were there specific intentionality when you start your when you started your business, your career in Hollywood? Um, and was there kind of like a, almost like a uh, an umph or an effort that you have to specifically put into making yourself more visible, more recognizable, um, you know, versus maybe other your other colleagues who um, are not members of the API community? Yeah, no, absolutely. Our, the the industry is definitely not, um, you know, when when I first got in, for sure, it was not a place where I saw a lot of people uh, of my color tone. And um, even before that, when I was just a student and, and just dreaming about kind of getting into the world, you know, you didn't see that um, on camera as well. It just wasn't a thing. You know, now you have shows where there are Asian American people and um, films, uh, you know, but even now, like this, this, this Marvel Shang-Chi film uh, is, it's the first kind of the first of its kind um, in terms of action now. And uh, it, it took this long to get here. So yeah, when I first started, it, that was not something you saw. It was not something that was uh, really promoted amongst our elders, right? The families are now yeah. like, oh, yeah, you should get into Hollywood. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, so even even as I started my journey and I started taking my courses and even got my foot in the door, my parents were still very much asking me, like, when am I going to go? When am, My mom was like, when are you going to be a nurse? You know, because <laughs> my mom's a nurse. Um, and my dad was like, when are you going to go back to school? Because I'd actually kind of left school. Um, I, I, I don't have a bachelor's or an associate's. I have a certificate in television production. Okay. And as soon as I got that certificate from my community college, uh, Mount San Antonio College in um, Southern California, I just got a job. I, I, I started working and I started working and I was work- so I was like a year or so in. And my dad's like, when are you going to go back to school? Finish your, your schooling. I was like. <laughs> I got my foot in the door already. I'm here. I don't need that uh, because it's different in our industry. Our industry does not uh, look for those things. They at least not at least not um, kind of at the level that I work at. Uh, if you want to go corporate, if you want to work for a network, if you want to work mm. for uh, you know a big studio, they do look for that. That that will be in their requirements uh, if you apply bachelors and whatnot. But that's not something I do. I've done. 20 years in the industry, 20 plus years in the industry now. Nobody's ever asked me for for any of that sort of stuff. So nobody cares. So yeah, you know, just, you know, going back to your question. Yeah, it was, it was definitely not something that you saw. It was definitely not something that your, your family uh, promoted or, or supported. Um, And so, you know, when you go, when you go and you start doing the work, um, it's really, it's really important that you perform at a, at a, a level that is is above the others because it helps you really stand out. Um, one of my skills, uh, I have a handful of skills that I, I like to think got me to dance, and one of them for sure is is my computer knowledge. I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. I, when I was when I was always the one who had to set the VCR for the family, the clock, and <laughs> any any sort of electronics in the house, I was the go to person yeah. to do that. And and they just said, "Oh, get, go do go do that." And so that's what I would do. Um, and so I became very accustomed to that sort of stuff. When we got a computer, um, 
I would spend a lot of time on it, especially during my college years when, when most of my contemporaries were probably out partying, hanging out, doing kickbacks. I was on my computer. Like, I didn't even have, like, I, th I think I finished all the games that I had and I was just now digging into, like, directories and, like, trying to figure out what everything was. And, and so I, I became very good with computers and applications and things of that nature. And then that kind of helped me get get my start because you know once you could get into the, the industry it's like oh what else can you do like can you okay if i give you a laptop can you do a spreadsheet can you do this can you do that and that really helped me that was a skill set that helped me tremendously and uh being filipino it also granted me a certain level of i guess uh charisma or or um you know friendliness that, that comes with being yeah. being a filipino we were known for for being very uh, very kind and, and uh, welcoming. And so I brought that with me to to the show and uh, people enjoyed it. I think I, uh, to this day, people still compliment me on on uh, my my positive attitude that I bring to every production. And so those are the things that as, as somebody who definitely was not somebody who looked like everybody else, right? I was one of the very few people. When I first started, I worked on the Oscars uh, in 2000. And there were not a lot of people of color, to be totally honest. It just was, that's just what it was. Um, and so I, I never really thought about that. I, I honestly didn't really think about that. I just went out there and performed to the best of my ability so that in the end, there was, there could be no question as to, you know, oh, well, why is he here? Is he here because he's brown? Is he here because, you know, they had to hire somebody of color? No, I, I, I was there because I had exceptional skills in multiple places um, and I was a, a go-getter and always willing to do what needed to be done. So that was that was really kind of in terms of being an Asian American in the industry and have, being able to stick out. That was what I had to do. Um, but yeah, it was definitely not something that you, you uh, as an Asian, you look at and say, oh yeah, I'm going to get into that field. Like nobody ever told me to. I had an aunt... Uh, actually a great aunt and an uncle in the Philippines who were uh, actors. So that was my only connection to the industry in terms of like, oh, I have these people who are in another country who are in front of camera, but I didn't have any other uh, pathway that led me to this career. You know, I didn't have anybody who was saying, oh yeah, get work behind the scenes and become a producer. It was just, uh, I don't really know exactly how that happened, but it, it yeah, manifested that, itself. That would be my next question, actually, because, you know, and for people who are listening who don't quite, you know, are not too in tune with the, obviously, Asian culture, South Southeast Asian culture. I mean, it is very unusual to encourage kids or parents, for parents to encourage kids to go into the entertainment industry. And even if you have one aunt who is who's in that space somewhat remotely, it is still fairly uncommon, right? And I think the, the stereotype, which is partially, if not for the majority of the, for various reasons, are somewhat correct that, you know, Asians like to encourage their kids to become doctors, lawyers, like something a little bit more technical, engineers, what safe, have you. Safety jobs, yeah. Yeah, like those safe jobs that are stable and, and have kind of a bit of that pedigree. What, and I know that you said that you don't know how that happened, but um, if I can ask a little bit more on behalf of the audience who's kind of curious, how did you kind of tap into that um, ability to take ownership of, okay, you know, even at a young age, right? 
um, the ability to go, okay, you know what, this is what I want to do? Or has that yeah. always been just a hundred percent your hobby? And it's very kind of night and day clear. Cause a lot of people, especially if they have multiple talents, computers, right. Entertainment, all maybe even you're good at whatever math and all the other stuff, then you can easily become sort of, okay, I have 10 options. And then you start to kind of think in a way that doesn't always serve your maybe gut feeling or your true purpose or passion or what have you. Like, were there a couple of triggers that kind of made you go, oh, you know what, for sure, I want to be in the entertainment space? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. First off, I'm terrible at math. Um, but the, <laughs> what the, yeah, I know this is over. This conversation is okay. no, uh, the, it started. I, I was very fortunate that I grew up in Burbank, California, in which is in Southern California. It's kind of known for being the home of Warner Brothers, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, with Jay Leno, uh, and a lot of other things. It's 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 kind of the media capital uh, of, of the United States or the world, some people say. So a lot of stuff happened around town. I would see things happening. I would see uh, productions going on. And, and so that was kind of my first glimpse. I was like, oh, look, they do these things and they shoot these, these shows that I watch. They shoot them here. And so it really kind of opened up that, that fourth wall, if you will, to be like, oh, look at that. There's things that happen. Um, and so that, kind of, that was kind of my introduction. And then, like I mentioned because I was the electronics go-to, I was also the, um, when the video camera was purchased, the uh, camcorder, <laughs> I was the go-to to record those things. So that became kind of my first foray into actually creating, you know, uh, looking through the lens and seeing something and how it's framed and, and how you can do stuff. And then what would, it, what would then happen was my brother and I would then, inspired by I think a cousin uh, of ours that we we went to a family reunion once and he showed us these videos these fan films essentially like he did a Terminator fan film and we were like blown away we were like yeah. what you could do this yeah. you could make a fan film uh, so we decided to make our own fan films and my brother was very much the uh, star of the films and I would be the camera operator slash director but I would also be the first casualty in, in every film so basically <laughs> right. the, the storylines in all of our films yes the storylines in all of our films would be the Batman, Daredevil, Punisher the storyline would always be somebody dies at the beginning that's connected to the lead so whether it was Robin whether it was you know whoever uh, I was that person. Uh, so that way my brother would record that. And then once that was done, I would then be the camera operator and he would be the star. And uh, a friend of my brother's would come in and be the villain. And that, those would be our movies. It would be the, the basic plot points. And so we did a couple of those purely for fun. Yeah. And um, then, yeah, later on, we had a talent show in my elementary school. I really, I, I wanted to be part of it. I was trying to... to join with a group where they would do like a skit and and it fell through and um i was like i still want to be involved in this and so i fell into the stage manager position for the for the show it was a live talent show in front of a bunch of people and i became the uh, teacher who was running it i forget who at this time but uh, i basically became her right hand and i was the stage manager making sure everything was going well so that was my next kind of foray into the behind the scenes aspect of it and then um after that it kind of fell to the wayside. I, we moved to Pomona, California, which was about an hour outside of Burbank. And I uh, just was kind of adjusting to the culture shock of it. It's a very different culture over there. And I was just dealing with that and, and making new friends after I'd been 
you know, seven, six plus years um, with these, this group of people I knew now I had to make new friends in this, this whole other area. So I was more worried about that, less worried about that sort of stuff, uh, the production aspect. And then when I got into college, so after high school, after junior high school, um, I, I got into college, I started taking some courses and I wasn't that into it. I was really kind of over going to school and taking classes and all that stuff. I really wanted to just start and have a career. I started, uh, I left school. I kind of basically failed most of those classes that first semester I, I was in school and then started trying to apprentice for people. I apprenticed for uh, somebody who did network cabling, which was back in the pre-Wi-Fi. You had to run cables through ceilings and drop them through, through walls. And I would be in an attic of a business and like helping run cable. And, and I wasn't getting paid. Uh, it was like an apprenticeship. And I was just like, I need to be getting paid. So I left that place and moved on to a computer shop. A friend of mine ran a computer shop and I went there and I actually really liked that. That's where my, my computer skills really started getting better along with what I mentioned where I got a computer at home. And so I got these skills that were really, uh, you know, useful and then I said, you know what, I'm going to go back to school. And, and in that time that I've left school, I, re I recalled all that stuff that I mentioned to you, the, the seeing the TV productions or the you know, film and TV productions happening, uh, doing the stuff I did with my brother, doing the talent show. And I was like, I really like that stuff. That was fun. You know, let's do that. And so I looked in, the, in my school, Mount San Antonio College. I looked in their booklet and looked and I saw they, they had courses on TV production and they had a certificate to do TV production. So I actually went back, didn't take any general education, no math, no history, nothing, just production. So I absorbed production fully for about two, uh, two and a half years, I think. And um, I gained so much experience from that time. And I just, I realized that was it was for me, you know, and I, I even produced my own content. I went to a, uh, I was a big Still, I am a big wrestling fan, but at the time, I would go to wrestling shows all the time, and I went to a local wrestling show, and I went to them and said, hey, I noticed you guys don't have any video cameras here. Can I shoot your event? They were like, come on through, shoot the event, and I was going to do it for free, and they gave me pizza, and I brought my friends in, and we, we shot this event, and I produced it, so that was like my first actual experience at like really producing something where I was editing we were adding graphics we were I was the camera operator and then I would be on camera as the I put a suit on and I was the announcer and uh so that was my first experience at really producing something I was like this is I like this this is fun and so that was kind of the the real big push and then once I got my foot in the door working on shows like the Oscars the Grammys etc I started working with the best producers in the business and I saw what they were doing and I really just I took a liking to it. And uh, after that was in 2000, 2011 was my first producing project that I got credited for. And uh, it's been, it's been now over 10 years uh, producing and, and working on some great projects. I got to go to Orlando to work on the Disney lot. I got to, I got to work on projects for um, E3, the big gaming convention, which I'm a big video game fan. So to be able to do that, so to be able to work in content that you actually enjoy, because you could be a producer and work in like, you know, um, reality TV or unscripted as they call it, or doing something that's like not necessarily something you love, but you know, you're getting paid for it. So it's like, okay, but like, I've got to do so many projects where it's like, oh, I love comic books or I love uh 
you know, gaming or I love um, space exploration. And, I, and then the fact they get pulled into these different projects um, now is, is, is amazing. And uh, it, it all started from, you know, making fan films with my brother in our garage. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm kind of curious to see your your fan films because it's well, it, it must be super fun. I don't know how, when was the last time you saw that film? I ooh, bet you- sadly, they, they do not they don't oh, exist to my it. knowledge no no no. i didn't get rid of it they just they got lost we we we. i was not i being being also the electronics person in the house i was kind of tasked with being the uh, keeper of all those things and uh, my parents not. went through a divorce we moved out there was just a lot of stuff that happened where it the somehow the footage is now missing oh. although i have a feeling somebody in the philippines somebody got the vhs it. copy that got sent to them and, and i don't know who Hopefully, if they ever hear this, they'll be like, oh, yeah, have this VHS <laughs> copy. Like, let's share it. But I don't think they exist anymore. I'd love to see it. I, I would die laughing. We have one. Um, we did one in high school that was um, kind of crime related. We called it Drug Bust. And it was uh, basically <laughs> like it had, uh, you know, aspects of uh, cops and robbers. It was a crime story. And so I have that somewhere. And that that's uh, that's definitely terrible but that would be, uh, it's fun to look at it yeah that'd be super fun to look at you have to try to search for it and just kind of share it with the world and people will just die laughing and have so much fun and, and you'll have fun because like some of the stuff that we did back then like it was such a big deal for us right and then now yeah. however many years later you're just kind of like wow, thank goodness we did that because, you know, it, it took you to where you are, um, you know, but I do want to point out one thing that you mentioned because um, I think one of the things that I noticed from your story as you shared it was really your ability to sort of ride the wave as it comes, right? And, and it's, I guess this is kind of a surfing analogy for those <laughs> who maybe surf or are familiar with it, but you kind of took the you know those little baby steps of noticing that oh I enjoyed this you know after your whatever however long of a break went back to school you're like this is pretty good and I'm gonna just keep doing it don't bother with the general education awesome and then you kept going and then you 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 started gigging and you started like all these things that's free and not try a bunch of different things and I love that spirit of just having that momentum and letting it take you to, you have some sense of where you want to be, but not getting too bogged down with, oh, I have to be this, right? Because I think what's interesting also from what you just shared is also that, you know, we have all these references to technology that no longer existed, right? And if you were so dead set on becoming the network cable producer, whatever, you wouldn't have built all these other skills that probably made you good at whatever it is that you're doing. So I love that. I think this is something that people and definitely the audience can continue to kind of be reminded of because this is totally, um, I think very, um, yeah, very, you know, people don't kind of talk about this, but it's something that we definitely need to be reminded about. But I do want to ask also on behalf of the audience, because I'm sure people are curious, well, how did you get the Oscar gig? Was it something that you've worked on for a long time? Was it something that you had to reach out to, um, you know, just out of the blue and just seek that opportunity, something that fell in your lab referral? How did that come about? Yeah, absolutely. That's the most important kind of question um, for anybody trying to get into the industry. Like, how did you get it? So how I got in, um, it's it's kind of multiple levels, but it started at school. So I was at school 
one of my teachers, uh, Professor Jillian Sturkin. Um, she, or Jillian Bennett, rather. She um, taught voiceover for commercials, I think. She taught a couple of different classes that I took that was part of that uh, certificate course. And she was very, just, you could tell she, she was like an actress slash comedian. She had a personality that she was able to c- control the room in a very humorous way. And I loved her. She was, she was so fun. And uh, I would participate in her class and, and have fun in her class. Like I said, you know, I come in with that Filipino upbringing where we're, we're jokey. We like to like, you know, <laughs> make jokes, you know? And, and so we, I would be in her class and I would engage with her. I would laugh at her jokes. I would, add a few of my own without being too disruptive you know you just it's part of the process especially when you're you're teaching something like improv or tv um, or voiceover for television and so I took that course with her and um, we uh, I I really enjoyed her and and she liked me um, as a student as well and she got a couple different opportunities that she presented me one she ended up taking over the radio station at uh, the campus and um I hadn't taken any radio courses. I only taken TV courses. So you, you could take like, I believe there was a certificate where you could take TV and radio and then there was just radio or just TV. And I didn't take any radio. It wasn't something I was trying to get into, but she was very adamant that I uh, take, have a show. Uh, and, and so she granted me three hours. I think it was twice a week uh, where I got to do a eighties um, show. And I was, the host and I, I hadn't taken any radio courses. So she gave me, she gave me this huge jump that a lot of people were not happy about in the, in the radio department. I was like, who is this guy who hasn't taken any courses, but she just thought I had this great personality. And so I, I, I had to take the opportunity and I did it and I, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot about eighties music, which I was a fan of before, but then I was like, I got really into it then, um, especially new wave sort of stuff, Depeche Mode, that sort of thing, yeah. new order. And, um, after that was done, I think I think it was kind of like a, not a test per se, but it was a good way for her to gauge like how reliable I was because I could have flaked on those, you know, I could have been like, oh yeah, I'm not coming, to, you know, and, and you miss the, the the show and you don't do it, and because that's what you do in like high school and college, right? You're just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna flake on that, I'm gonna flake, and so I didn't. I I, I met all my obligations, and her husband, uh, a gentleman by the name of David Doyle. Um, was a producer in Hollywood, still is a producer in Hollywood, uh, Emmy award-winning producer. And he uh, was looking for some interns. He was working on, at the time, some kind of docu-series shows. Uh, I think one was called like Conspiracy Theories, where they would kind of delve into uh, the JFK assassination, for example. And so uh, he was looking for interns. I was living out in West Covina at the time, which is about, uh, again, sometimes an hour, sometimes two hours, depending on traffic outside of LA. So I took the internship with David um, and this company associated television international ATI. And I drove out there and I would spend a full day doing intern stuff. So whether it was being a production assistant on set, helping out, doing, you know, being a hand, uh, getting whatever, uh, whether it's food, coffee, I did it. And one night I even remember very vividly staying up late and I was transcribing an interview. So it was a full, this full interview with this, this guy 
who was a expert on the JFK assassination and, and was arguing that it was very possible for Lee Harvey Oswald to have been able to reload and whatnot. And here, so I'm watching this video, I'm typing, 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 typing. I had pretty good typing skills um, because of the computer time I'd spent. I spent a lot of time in AOL chat rooms and I became very good at like, like typing fast. So nice. Uh, so, so I was typing, typing, typing. I remember getting like feeling carpal tunnel. I could feel my wrist kind of snapping. And I was like, I think I need to go. And I was the only one in the office at this point. Like everybody else had left. I'm literally sitting in a dark office, just typing, typing, because I wanted to get this done. Um, you know, I'm an intern. I'm trying to like make, make a good impression. And so, uh, that, that project ended, um, he ended up doing another project with, he kind of branched off, started his own company, did another docu-series called Lords of the Mafia. And he, he brought me on for that one. And I, I came on for that one. And that one was a paid internship. So I'd come in, I'd work for a day, get paid. And then whatever extra time I was there um, was free. And so I did like five days a week or four days a week. And uh, I gained that experience with David Doyle and his company. And when I was done with the project, um, David, as well as his production manager, uh, a man by the name of Joe Neary, they both, separate occasions, two separate occasions, they both said, what do you want to do? And um, I'd been talking to one of the, uh, to the production coordinator, and he was telling me about how he worked on the American Music Awards or the country, I forget. He was just telling me about all these award shows he was working on and like how how amazing everybody looked, especially like the young, beautiful starlets. And, and I'm this like, 20 year old 21 year old kid I'm like I gotta go there so and, and the live aspect was very enticing as well because like I'd mentioned I'd done the uh, I'd done the talent show when I was a kid and then also when I was in college we did a lot of like live news we did live sporting events the wrestling thing I mentioned so the live world which is very different from the single camera world has a different energy. And I was like, I want to get back into that. Cause the docu-series stuff was cool, but I wanted to get back to that high energy. And so he asked me what I wanted to do. I said, I wanted to work on award shows. And he, he literally picked up the phone right in front of me. He calls the Oscars offices, speaks to a, a lady by the name of Kathy Erickson. Kathy, he says, Kathy, I got the guy for you. And a week later, I got an opportunity from Kathy and ended up working. I think that was December, 1999. I, I, I got called in because the main producer of the Oscars, his, uh, his, his regular production assistant was out of town for the holidays. So they brought me in and I delivered Christmas presents for him. Uh, so I went to their office, I picked up all these presents uh, and, and I delivered all those presents. And then they, when I got done, they were like, do you want to come work on the Oscars? I was like, yeah, I do want to work on the Oscars. And so the, and then the next conversation I had was with this production manager, Joe Neary, same question. What do you want to do now that we're done with this project? I said, I want to work on the award shows. And he said, okay, give me a second. Picked up the phone right in front of me, called his guy, uh, Gary Kay, this gentleman who was working at Dick Clark Productions at the time, he said, I got a guy for you. Uh, American Music Awards is coming up. He's, he's your guy. I get a call for that uh, a couple of weeks later. So I'm already on the Oscars. I get a call for that. So I basically worked on the Oscars as a PPA from December 99 till about April of 2000. After the show was wrapped, I did some cleanup. And then every weekend, so I, I would work on my, my first show where I actually was there on set for the big show was American Music Awards and that came from that call that Joe Neary made 
So I would go do that on the weekend, come back to the Oscars during the week. And then I met somebody during the American Music Awards who really liked me. They liked my hustle and all that. So they brought me to the Grammys, which is in February. So now I'm on the Grammys in February. I meet more people. I'm networking. I'm saying hi. I'm like introducing myself. I meet somebody from Grammys who brings me on to the Screen Actors Guild Awards. And then it just it just rolled at that point. It was like I would net, go to a new show, network, meet a new person. They would bring me on to another project. And from that point, I would just nonstop getting on projects throughout early 2000 into summer of 2000, where I just was working, working, working. And it all came from rewinding back to that time with my teacher and being a productive student in her class, being non-disruptive, being uh, gregarious and, and, and just wanting to learn. And, you know, and for, for a teacher to kind of see that and say, okay, this person has potential and wants to do learn and be something. So she gave me that opportunity. Her husband gave me another great opportunity and so on and so on and so on. So that's, that's how I got my foot in the door. Well, what I love the most about this story is that when your professor gave you essentially your first opportunity, right? It came in the form of something that you had very little interest in, right? Dare we say the, the audio piece of it, right? Radio piece of it. You're like, well, I never, you know, you could have easily said no. And I love, and again, something else to, to always constantly remind ourselves, um, you know, with is, is this ability to be like, well, let's just try it out, see how, you know, how it works. You know, this is somebody that I enjoy working with. And sometimes it comes, opportunities come in smaller forms, different forms. And then it just kind of leads into things that, you really don't expect. So I love, I, that's, that's the first piece. I mean, I love a few things about your story, which is great. And then of course, after that, the carpal tunnel story, (laughs) (laughs) I would just be like, okay, this is time to tap out because if I don't have my hands, (laughs) you know, I have no future. But uh, did you have to wear a cast after like weeks? No, no, it was just my, I'd, I'd always heard about carpal tunnel I didn't know what it was and then I just started feeling my hands like snap like they were snapping as I typed I'm like what is that about (laughs) so but yeah no to your point like had I not taken that opportunity right like what would have happened so uh it was it was great and actually you know it's just reminding me one of my first experiences with audio was my parents bought this machine that uh, is called the minus one. Some people know about this. It's that speaker that has like two audio tape decks and you could do this. This was the precursor to karaoke. Basically (laughs) you would buy the minus one and you would have the audio cassette tapes and you would play back the cassette tape and you would read the lyrics off of like a booklet. And that was, we had one of those. And when we got it, I remember being in the room by myself, turning it on and like, kind of (laughs) like, I was doing like an Orson Welles like yeah. storytelling thing. I was just yeah. by myself in the room. I'm like, oh, and then I can just hear my voice. And I remember doing it. And that was like my first kind of foray into that. So then like when that, I think that that kind of, when I got that offer to do the radio show, it reminded me of that. And I was like, all right, let's try this out and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's funny. Yeah. You, know, you can only yeah. have that visual of you like doing your own thing in the back. <laughs> it's super fun. <laughs> uh, but I do, I think also the other thing that I want to point out real quick for people who missed it, because you went through your story and it's very easy to just say, well, it's easy because, you know, Augie met the right professor. But I think if if you really dig deeper, right, everyone who's listening, I do want to point out how like at every turn you do notice that 
that, you know, even after, you know, your, your radio gig, and then, you know, going into the internship, that was free, right, you were still uh, working on earning your stripes, right? It wasn't like you, you just suddenly, oh, I'm kind of I met this guy, great. Now I feel like I'm, I'm there. Like it just kind of always having the humility to at every step to to understand that you know what this is you know we we have to earn the right to be you know to 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 get to where we want to be and then again with um with the other guy joe is it neary right Mm -hmm. same thing you you still work worked your butt off really so i think i that's really something that's i think is really really amazing um so i wanted to kind of shift because you mentioned that what i love is again you kind of organically discover and solidify your interests originally you have like oh i'm kind of interested in these live shows sounds awesome and then boom right you're you're in and it's like right now you're like well i I, there's no way i'm going to do well maybe you will do other things but that's kind of you have that niche which is awesome and i want to kind of ask you for people who are listening, because I think a lot of people right now, particularly content creators, right, they um, are often in kind of solo production mode. They're like figuring their content out. They're figuring out, okay, I've got a live, whatever, a show, webinar, whatever it is, right? Like a conference, event, whatever, however small or large. And you having this kind of plethora of experiences, I wanted to get with you on one particular, I think, aspect that a lot of people overlook and start there, which is, you know, how could you, how do you engage people in a short amount of time to make that show as, you know, whatever, as amazing as it could be and reach all the goals that you're trying to to reach? Because a lot of times, particularly in the online space right now, a lot of people are going online, going virtual. You really have only minutes, maybe even seconds to get your message across, right? Cover all the bases and really set the tone for an amazing show. Do you, as a you know producer, do you have kind of a, um, a canon of, okay, this is one to three things that uh, that we must have in whatever, in the intro or in the highlight reel or in the trailer for that particular show? Yeah, no, absolutely. There's kind of a structure that when you work on a network special that they really kind of want you to adhere to, um, especially because with network TV, there's still commercials and there's there's always the possibility people might click and go somewhere else. Um, although that's changing now, right? With with streamers and everything, it's the world is changing. But the way things have always worked when I got in the industry was that you had to build out the show really strong at the beginning. So like the first act had to be just packed with like a really strong presentation. So if you were doing the Grammys, you had to have your biggest star open the show. Uh, and then a couple, you know, heavy hitters along the way. And then maybe somebody pretty big, to cap it off but like that act had to be like action-packed probably your longest act out of 13 14 acts in the show and let's pause for the, for a second there why is that because a lot of people probably listening to you right now they'll go well shouldn't i save my best act or best mm-hmm. content to the end yeah it's it's i mean it's just to grab you it's to keep you say okay i'm gonna stick around for three hours and watch this go go because they might have this is if this is what they're showing me now what what you know what's gonna be down what's the next? road 
Yeah, so that that's definitely kind of um, the way a lot of shows have been built out uh, initially. You you really want to start strong um, because people's attention spans are are very uh, quick nowadays, and and if you don't grab them those first ten minutes, then you're going you might not keep them, and they might go on to the next thing. You know, there's so much content out there now. You know, there's every every plus platform right you got yeah. disney plus you got amazon prime you have paramount plus and hbo max there's so many like i was digging through them the other day just trying to download content because i was gonna be on a plane flight and i'm like oh my god so <laughs> it could be a content. full-time job just going through and consuming all that it's, i was yeah for sure there's just so much great content out there so you know why bother with this one show if it's not gonna do something to keep me interested the first hour if we're not first hour first 10 minutes you know and so that's really kind of a technique that that is is employed um when you produce content you really have to like start strong with with some of your best stuff to keep people engaged and focused so um and then there's like there's there's it's a it's it's a roller coaster right you don't want to like be hitting them hard non-stop because that, that also has uh, some negative effects to it. You want to like, okay, we, we hit them hard at the beginning. Now we're going to slow down, give them some emotional, like we're going to do a nice slow song here maybe, or whatever it is, right? I, di- I recently did a, um, it was about just under an hour long special for a rare cancer organization called Cycle for Survival. They hired me to basically produce their virtual event. Normally they did events in person. You do the whole cycling thing, but obviously covid uh, prevented that so they were doing a virtual event and you when I was building out the show you, you, there was a lot of emotion in it because they're in some of it they're talking about people dying and some of it they're talking about um, you know people dealing with a rare cancer and so there was a there was a a very delicate balance you had to be aware of because you don't want to hit people with sad stories non-stop 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 you want to give them hope. You want to give, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And so there's like in film, uh, there's a three act structure where, where they introduce everybody at the beginning. They then, uh, then they kind of start the journey in act two and act two is like the long part. And that's the part that really uh, establishes a lot of different stuff. And then act three kind of closes things out and, and TV is a little bit different, but you, you still kind of follow a similar thing where in that you don't want to, you don't want to give too much at one point. You want to like balance it out. So yeah, you start out strong, but you also want to have a big moment at the end of your act two as well. Right. Because that's your ending of your, your project. So yeah, there's, 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 when you produce stuff, you really have to be aware of that and and make sure that, you know, you're not uh, giving away all your goodies at the beginning. Mm. Is there kind of um, a, cause I know that people who create, especially, you know, the creatives, the creatives out there, when they create something, even those who are experienced, sometimes what you think uh, would have worked, it, it, tend, it turns out to be a miss. Was there ever moments, you know, I don't know if you have any examples that you can draw from, because a lot of times people who create something, they're like, oh, it's this in the past, this is the formula, right? Like we kind of start with this, we journey into that. Uh, but then for some, whatever, for whatever reason, the maybe the audience kind of tune out in the middle where they thought that oh this is a this is a really compelling item and we don't know why this didn't work like how do you um i guess how do you tr- at the up at the onset how do you avoid that um or to the best of your avail- avail- um, 
uh, ability, I should say. And if it's a live show, <laughs> what do you do if you see that, oh, your audience is dropping or, or oh, my goodness, the viewership is, is, has just tuned out there, right? Do, is there kind of a, uh, an improv element to it or do you tend to stay pretty close to the script? Yeah, I mean, with a live show, it is very tricky to change course. Like you, the, the thing with a live show, especially like a long award show, three hour, or two hour, whatever it is, you have to rehearse that. You can't go into that unrehearsed. So we've, if you've done, a, a, if you're doing a three hour show and you're live in the show, that means you've rehearsed all of the elements leading up to it in theory. Um, you've rehearsed the performances, you've rehearsed the host doing their, you know, comedy bits and whatnot. You've rehearsed uh, all the movements and, and how you get from one performance to the next award, to the next, because there's staging that has to happen too, right? So you can't just say, oh, you know what? Things are looking weird right now. We're going to move this performance here. You, It's not, the only way that, the only time that actually does happen is if it's an emergency, like some, mm. for example, um, we did a show recently where, a performance was supposed to happen at the end of the show. Uh, and unfortunately, somebody from that performer's technical team didn't bring a proper um, dongle, which would be required to kind of plug in their system to the uh, his laptop. And so it went missing. And we scrambled, our team scrambled, asking around if somebody had it and, and they couldn't do it. So literally what something we had rehearsed where a performance was going to happen, it didn't happen. And we had to then scramble in that and say, okay, we're going to do this. Um, it wasn't because we were like, oh, viewership is dropping. There's really no way to tell uh, with a, especially a network show, like if viewership is dropping. Um, you can tell if you look on Twitter, maybe if it's trending, if people are interested. But really, if you produce a show and you program it to be that way, you have to follow through with it and, and, and move on. If something happens midway through the show, you can adjust. That's where you have to make adjustments. But uh, I, I've never been in a situation where we're like, oh, yeah, we're not trending right now. Let's let's mix things up. You know, like you can't do that. You can't, It's unfair to your crew. It's unfair to um, just everybody involved. You know, you have to make the 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 decision to go move forward. Um, but, yeah, there are times when for sure, like a performer, something happens with a performer and, and they're not able to perform or something like a band isn't set yet you know the band is supposed to be set okay what do we do okay the, the host luckily we have a host who can you know talk to the audience hey let's go talk to the audience and then they'll go talk to the audience for three minutes while somebody's plugging something in to make sure the band can play and that's happened tons of times <laughs> yeah but so that's what's happening of, whenever we see the show the host down at the sometimes, audience like really well sometimes <laughs> sometimes it's you know sometimes it's 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 like uh, it's pre-produced where they know, okay, we need to be off of the stage right now because they're setting something on stage. So we're going to be in the audience doing something, you know, related to that. So that's all staging. And that's all, you know, as you produce a show and as you direct the show, you look into those elements and that kind of helps dictate where things land. But yeah, you know, back to your original question, it's, it's, it's too hard to change things mid midstream. Um, it's not like film. If you were, if you were doing a film or, or something like that's a pre-produced uh, television program, for example, we did the Disney sing-along special. Uh, I did two of them and we are able to watch the, the, the cut and say, okay, 
um, this doesn't feel right here. This feels, let's move this here. And that, that's when you have the ability to move things because you're editing the show and it's not truly live. Um, so, so those sort of things, yeah, you can, you can then make that adjustment, but um, not live. live. Doing it live is, is extremely dangerous and, and not uh, ideal. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think to your point, because if there are other people involved, it'd be way too difficult to then at that on the spot figure out you know, okay, well, what's, what's happening for them? You know, like they don't know what they're going to do because everything um, had been thought out um, in the beginning. Right. So I wanted to kind of ask you something real quick, because you just mentioned before we start rolling that you're, uh, you've recently been involved in Jeff Bezos's uh, rocket launch, which was is just it sounds like such a great time. And um, like, what was that like, you know, share with us your experience, like some things that you, learn some things that you, you kind of take home with you because I think part of the um, the appeal to a lot of people is that well this is something that we still have not quite you know for a lot of people space is still largely unexplored right so yeah. just having this ability like what's the like for you so share a little bit about that yeah absolutely um, it, it, it was a once in a lifetime experience for sure I'm I'm a, I'm a ever since my dad took me to watch Star Trek for the voyage home uh, at a movie theater. And I, I was exposed to space and, and time travel and things of that nature. Uh, I've been fascinated with it ever since. So whether it's Star Wars, Star Trek, um, any Marvel, anything like that, it's always been fascinating to me and especially Star Trek and the idea that we could be a unified world, um, if not galaxy. And, and, and yeah, there might be enemies and, and things of that nature, but um, the idea that we could be as a as a people as a humanity better and bigger and 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 explore beyond this this world uh, is very appealing to me. So this was one of the first steps, um, and to be part of it uh, was amazing. And actually, so my job on that is that of associate director. I'm not the producer on the show. I'm associate director, and that's not something I normally do. It's something that I'll do occasionally, but it's not. Um, what I want to do. And it kind of falls in that radio sort of thing where it's like, well, they called me, they want me to do this job. Uh, I don't normally do this job. I've done it on small things before, but it's not something I normally do, but I love space. So for people who are listening, who are not familiar with the direct, uh, the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Producing you, you help craft how the show is. You, you help lay things out. Directing, you are executing the vision of the producer and, and, and what they, they are putting on paper and envisioning. So, I would sit next to the director, um, right to his left, and I would guide him and the entire crew via communications headsets and say, okay, we're coming up on this next item. Uh, we're gonna go to, we're gonna have a graphic in this item. We're gonna do, we're gonna cut to this camera in this item. And then we're gonna roll to a tape, which is gonna play off of this device. And so I would, that's what you do as an associate director. It's a lot of kind of preparing everybody for, what what the producer has has envisioned and so um i I take that opportunity and i ran with it i said i want to be involved in this and 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 it's not um it's definitely uh tricky there's there's hours uh that are very different from regular production because of the launch happens uh very early in the morning um central time you have to get up and be on site which takes 
another hour to get to from the town you're you're staying in, which is is a town that doesn't have the best hotel accommodations <laughs> in the world. So you're depending on on where you're staying. You know, there's there's you may have a breakfast available for you in the morning. You may not. Yeah, people um, think it's and, glamorous work. It's not always right. Yes. So, oh, there's this. Uh, there's definitely moments of of, of non glamour um, <laughs> at times, and this I would. Uh, I would say that if yeah, th- this c- could fall into that depending on what your view of glamorous is. To me, the glamour of like the space flight aspect of it is is glamorous to me. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll deal w- with this because not there's not too many people that are gonna be able to say they they've done this. So that's the glamorous part of it for me. So um, so yeah, it's it's there's there's like I would have to wake up really early, two a.m. call time, three a.m. call time, that sort of thing, and uh you you drive to the set and and it's pitch black and you know there's there's aspects of it that are hard but um in the end it's worth it because you're like you are doing something that's amazing so um yeah that's that's kind of and and you know i i I did briefly get to to meet jeff bezos a few years ago because i've I've worked on on these launches now a couple times um this last one being the actual first human flight um as they call it so um, really just just an amazing experience and again it kind of falls into that thing where it's like oh I love you know video games and I get to work in video game stuff oh I love space and now I get to work on something space and it's it combines my worlds that and, and makes it like so appealing that you know as hard as it is like I get to tell these stories for the rest of my life and so you know I'll, I'll gladly go through it again and, and uh, I'm sure I will again as well. Yeah. Was the um, actual, and obviously this is, this question is from not um, never having seen it live. I guess, I mean, we've all watched it and, and seen clips of it when the day walk us through that day. Cause you mentioned the two to 3 AM call time, which I think a lot of people are not, they don't realize they're like, Oh yeah, maybe it's like 5 AM or whatever, right. To do, to do these things. But it's, a lot of times very early, very long hours. You don't really sleep sometimes for 20, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So what was the energy like that day? Right. And was it difficult? I think my, my biggest question is, was it difficult to get people up that early in the morning? What do you guys do to encourage people to, to um, really, I mean, maybe because this is so monumental, there's not too much encouraging that needs to be done. Yeah, no, they, they, um, we kind of work our way to those call times. Like the first day we show up on site, it's like a 7am call and we every day kind of shaves off an hour because, you know, you want to rehearse in the proper conditions and and, uh, at the proper time and kind of train your body to a certain extent to get used to that. So, you know, we build towards that, the the last two days before the launch there, we are there pretty early. And so our bodies are kind of used to it at that point. And they, we get sent home the day before the launch um, at a very respectable hour so we can then like I was I was at my hotel before like three o'clock p.m. so I, if, in theory I could have gone to sleep at 3 p.m. woken up at 1 a.m. and then gone and still had a good amount of sleep you know that's a lot of time um, I did not have that luxury I was very anxious <laughs> and I I took a nap too and I too excited and I, I took a nap briefly and then I uh, basically sat in bed with my eyes open the rest of the time and then I at around midnight I was like you know what this is going to the office. Yeah, I hopped in the shower, hopped in the shower, got in the car, got some coffee, got some, you know, Wendy's uh, nearby and then drove into the, 
the uh, location and uh, just said, let's get ready. Let's get comfortable in my chair and, and just start take, do, you know, prepping my, my script book and all that sort of stuff. So um, there was a lot of that. It was very, very, and I, I wasn't the only one. I know there was other people who were uh, very excited as well because they had built, you, the, the, the company itself had been working on this for over a decade. I believe they started in 2012, if not earlier. Um, and, uh, and, and the company that hired me, Flightline Films, they had been basically, I think they had been with them since one of the first launches, if not the first launch. So uh, this was a, a moment that a lot of people had been building to. I'd only done two launches prior to this launch. So uh, my connection to it was, was still pretty minimal. But uh, again, it was just such a unique experience that like, I was just like, oh, my God. This how many amazing. and how many people were involved? Like, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, but what's, what's yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think I can get too into that because of my oh. NDA. Um, but but there's, I mean, it's it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty lean. I would say um, that's the best I think I can I can say about it. Um, it's it's uh, not what um, would normally be done for um, like say the Oscars. You know, it's a different production, totally, um, and and so that's why. But uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, it it's it's a bit more lean. Yeah. How do you? Okay, so you've touched on like rehearsing before, and I think what's curious to me, even with you know Blue Origin and other live events, shows, launches, right? Um, all of these things. Uh, obviously, with the rehearsal, it kind of minimizes the, you know, the mistakes that you might have done. But with something so technical, you know, like a space launch, or I mean, people, some people's businesses might be very, very technical, right? Um, very, maybe uh, computer heavy uh, dependent, and you have some computer skills. Are there like, do you guys have like an industry typical standard checklist usually that you go through or you some, something that you've developed on your own that you kind of like, okay, I have to make sure that I hit these, whatever, 10 things. Um, otherwise, and everything else will follow or write something to that degree. Or is it like a whole book, like a whole playbook? <laughs> no, it's not. It's so it's not really a playbook per se. But as I mentioned, that the, this job is not something I traditionally do. So I have only done it a handful of times. I've watched it done because normally uh, what I'd done before as a producer, and I still do occasionally, is I I do something that's called production supervisor. The production supervisor takes the producer's idea and then puts it on paper so that everybody knows what the show is, whether it's technical cues, whether it's timing, whether it's whatever it is in their mind, this is what it looks like on paper so that the technical crew can execute it. So I actually kind of doubled in that. I, I would do I was doing that on this, but also I was the associate director. And in previous shows, I would just be the production supervisor and I would sit next to the associate director. So I would watch it happen a lot and I would watch, pay attention to them. What are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? And I would see them write their notes and all that sort of stuff and see them guide people. So um, my checklist was really kind of from memory of what I'd seen them do. It was like, fake it till you make it sort of thing. Like, okay, I've seen them do it. I, I can do it. Nobody really taught me how to do it. Um, but like there's there were there were a lot of things that you had to do you had to make sure the script was right because if the script's not right and the host is reading off the teleprompter then you have a problem so that's checklist number one make sure the script is 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 in proper shape and condition okay great that goes to the prompter then like 
now I have to get my mind set into the show rundown, making sure all the cues are accurate there. Because if I don't put the right cue on the rundown or run of show or whatever you want to call it, then the audio guy is going to miss the cue. And then he, then that's a problem or, or the tape person is going to miss something. And that's a problem, graphics person, et cetera. And then once that's done, okay, now I got to get my mind into the associate director mindset because now I'm he- helping the director, technical director, anybody else who's listening to me on the, on the communications line. And now I have to get into that mindset of, okay, okay this is what's going to happen on this page, two pages ahead. I have to put, put that note on this page, two pages earlier so that I get my mind ahead of it. So that's kind of the checklist you kind of have to put forward and, and make sure, okay, I have to go check the elements, all the videotape packages that came in. I have to make sure they're in the proper order and that they have the proper numbering system so that when we play it back, it's the right thing. And um, so that's, there is, it's, it's not a checklist per se, but there are things you need to do in order to ensure that you are going to have a, a proper production, live production go off without any issues. Um, there've been many shows where the wrong package gets played or the wrong music cue gets played or the wrong script gets read. And so you have to avoid all those things by getting ahead of it and making sure those things are, um, are, are, are properly done ahead of time. I love this. Well, and, and it just kind of goes to show you that, especially the bigger the the team, right, the more people involved, that there's added layer to it because you almost have to put yourself in the shoes of other people to just kind of make sure that you have this seamless show um, and event or whatever it is. But I think one thing that you that that reminded me um, of was something that you mentioned earlier in the conversation on how you know there are times when you know you look through or you review an event or a show and you kind of go this doesn't feel right here right let's move this elsewhere um, whether that's with editing or whatever it is and how do you kind of obviously this is something that's probably innate in you by now because you've been doing this for years but those people who are just starting out and they're kind of like okay I'm looking to have a kind of a mo a very kind of melodic uh, progression for the show and what should they look for in in terms of okay this really does not fit here I have to move this up elsewhere like what are some clues or hints that they can look for visually or you know maybe um just you know composition wise that they're kind of, that can tell them this is this doesn't belong here yeah no uh, that's an interesting question yeah i mean it depends on obviously the project like for example say you were doing an award show and you had a in memoriam segment right and this is a beautiful touching segment dedicated to all those we've lost in the industry right and it's sad it's it's melancholy it's all of that you don't want to put a package after that that says coming up jody blah 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 from little mermaid or blah 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 blah. you don't want to like (laughs) you don't want to you don't want to you have to pay attention to the tone right you don't want to say you don't want to have this like next the performance by katie perry you don't want any of that stuff you want to now end the end that act in a fade to black or, or, you know, however, in a way that's respectful to those that have been lost. Right. So that's a great example right there. You don't want, you just don't do that. Um, it's not ideal. Um, and, and, and that's just feeling it. You, 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 if you watch that in, in rehearsals and, and you're like, and you see that and you're like, Oh, that's fine. Then maybe you're not that good of a producer, right? <laughs> like you, you have to like really feel things and, and, and realize, okay, this, 
we can't put two sad songs back to back. We can't put, you know, uh, something that feels uh, or, or, or too much energy back to back, right? You want to spread it. You want to make sure you, you, you put up a little bit of everything out there. Um, and, and so it's really feeling it. And, and, and when you watch something back, you know, you, you have to look at the things and, and kind of look at it as a whole. Um, what we do in, in production is we kind of create a show board that, that lists everything. So you can look at it visually on one page and see, oh, there's that performance. That's a slow song. There's that performance. That's a slow song. They're two, three acts away. Great. Mm. Perfect. So is there's it kind that... of like a traditional storyboarding or is it like a, like a timeline yeah. with... Well, it's not storyboarding in, in that there's no, there's no like drawings or anything like that. It's literally like boxes with text and, and, and information in that, those boxes. It's, it's literally like if you were to do this in, uh, you know, in an office, you would put a corkboard up on the wall and you would like kind of like this corkboard and you would put little cards up on the wall that that have um, that, that segment and you can move that segment and move it around. And we have it in a digital format in Excel and you can do that sort of thing as well. And that that's just, you know, you look at it and you feel it and producers will say, okay, let me see the board. And okay, you look at the board and you say, okay, okay. And then, and then you go with it. And, you know, in a tape show, you can, you can address those things um, after you've watched in a live show, you don't have that luxury. So you have to just go with what, what you went into it with and you do have to pay attention to it. But that's, that's really kind of like the way I approach it and the way I've seen other producers approach it as well. You just kind of have to like look at it and feel it and, and make sure it feels right for the moment. Mm. Uh, I think the other thing that I'm kind of curious with your description of that visual, which is great, obviously, because I mean, you're obviously a good producer, so you don't really qu quite have to like go back and look through things and be like, oh, that's a huge mistake. But um, again, for people who are learning and, and looking back at perhaps their previous work, and they go, you know what, that could have been better. Um, I want to go back real quick to what qualifies as a good show and what qualifies as a bad show and whether maybe from an entertainment or an education standpoint, um, a boring show or like an average show, would that qualify as, as like a bad show? Like, what do you look for when you look at something and you're like, oh, that's a bad show or like, oh, this mm. is a good show? speed right i mean you've touched on some of them already but what are some yeah. other kind of nuanced things that people can kind of grab onto yeah no that's that's a very interesting question i think that one of the my, my first thing that i think about is is the client happy so like if you're if you if abc if you're like a network hired you or if a company like blue origin or, or anybody hired you and at the end of the show they are they've got a smile on their face that's step one. All right. You're in a good place now. Okay. The next step is the, the reception, obviously, like did, was it well received or is it trending? Was, are the reviews good? And that's one that could be like, okay, well you, you could listen to that or you don't. I mean, a, a lot of people, there was a lot of negative comments about the Jeff Bezos launch um, just due to uh, where, you know, the, the political climate of things and whatnot. And, and um, there was a lot of, Things that like, you know, personally, I was like, uh, you know, that, that kind of sucks, but what, whatever. Um, and then from a rating standpoint or, or analytics standpoint, you look at it. Okay, look, three million people watch this this live stream. That's pretty impressive. So we had all their eyes on on it and they were paying attention to it. 
um, in the television world, it's ratings and, and, oh, this drew high ratings. And so people enjoyed it, right? So that's, there's different ways to look at what, what made it good. Um, I've done many shows where it was amazing and it went really well, but the ratings were terrible. So, but you can't, you can't judge it based on the ratings because right. the ratings, the ratings don't determine how good a show is or the ratings determine how well a show has been promoted by the network or mm. whatever. Um, it's like a film, right? You could put a film out there, amazing film, and you could put out in theaters, but if you didn't put trailers out, if you, if you're, if the studio isn't pumping tons of marketing into putting, you know, getting the word out, if, if the actors aren't doing the, the, the night, late night shows and promoting it, all that sort of stuff that comes with getting the attention of the audience that that's going to pay money to watch it or, or spend three hours or two hours to watch it, to give you your, um, your quantification of why it's a good show. If that doesn't happen, then, then it doesn't matter. So um, that, that's kind of the way I look at it. There, there, it's a multiple level thing. It's, it's, was the show executed the way we wanted it to be executed? And is everybody happy from that standpoint? Great, great show on that aspect. Did people enjoy the show online? Were they talking about it? Were they saying good things about it? Great, okay, we're good there. Were the ratings, were the, were the various um, uh, analytical uh, aspects about it that make it a good show or, or talked about show there? then okay then it's if you put all three of them together great it, it was an outstanding show but that rarely happens nowadays where all three <laughs> come yeah, in line it's so, hard it's like a unicorn yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 i haven't been in you know with, with in the twitter era there's so many people with so many opinions and uh people don't always like things and and they'll they get to vocalize it in that space so uh you just have to take that with what it is and if you if you you can't get too absorbed into that you you have to be able to say okay well this this is one aspect of it but we know what we did and it was a great show and if some people didn't like it then you know i'm not trying to prove them wrong that's their opinion and they can have their opinion yeah and i think if we even think of almost anything right not just entertainment and shows films movies anything there's always there's always going to be people who don't like it a percentage of it it's almost like the percentage stays the same the more people you know so if it's like a thousand people watching let's say three percent of them hated it and then a million people watch it you know there's going to be whatever a few hundred people who also hate it and that's actually maybe just kind of the law of um, viewership if that i don't know if that makes sense but that's kind of the observation that i've i've been noticing is that well you you know you really can't satisfy everyone and you might you probably shouldn't satisfy everyone because yeah. that means that you're not catering to the people who truly um would enjoy it right so absolutely absolutely yeah and, and at a certain point you can't worry about that sort of stuff obviously from a financial standpoint the the capitalistic nature of it um if your movie does not make money if your show does not draw ratings if you're you know that sort of stuff affects affects your future and creating content. Um, so you do have to think about that at times. But if you're just creating content and um, like that, for example, with the rocket launch, that's just going to happen. It's going to happen either way. We're just we're broadcasting it, and that's part of it. Um, they're not gonna they're not gonna not do the rocket launch 
the next time because people were making fun of how the what the rocket looked <laughs> You're just like. Do you know? it anyway. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, Augie, this had been uh, absolutely fantastic. I love all your stories, all of you know everything about our conversation. And uh, believe it or not, we are coming to the conclusion of our episode. And so I wanted to give um, everyone the opportunity to learn more about you. So where can the audience um, go to, to to learn more about you? Yeah, you can find me on pretty much most social media platforms at Augie Max, A-U-G-I-E-M-A-X. I'm on Twitter, Instagram. You could go to AugieMax.com. That'll kind of guide you to all those places as well. Um, I have some stuff on YouTube. Um, Awesome. Amazing. Augie, thanks so much for being here. I totally enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. I did as well. Thank you, Talia. Hey, everyone. Do not forget to hit that subscribe, follow, add, collect button. Gross Solvers, let's do this.